Welcome to the London Walks podcast. This episode, Literary London, part one. So here we are, Adam. We're underneath, uh, well, we're kind of almost kind of next to Blackfriars Bridge, aren't we? Blackfriars Bridge, down by the riverside. Are we talking books? We're talking books on the Literary London podcast. We're talking prose, aren't we? Prose, not so much verse, prose. Yeah, we're filtering this down now, because we've done uh, poetry earlier on, and we've mentioned books variously through um, uh, several different podcasts, but we're concentrating uh, the entire episode on Literary London, specifically prose, as you saw. Yeah, we did kind of verse before. We got a few other London walkers to to read a bit, didn't we? So I think they might, I don't know if they're going to be reading, but suggesting some of their favourite London Books. We're going to hopefully catch up with a few London walkers to get recommendations uh, for London Reading Matter. We've been doing this on our blog this week. Yes. Um, uh, uh, this month, I should say. Asking the London Walks guys to provide uh, recommended London books and we're going to bring the voices of London walkers in uh, on this podcast. Hey, what was the first novel? What would you regard as the first? It's kind of, oh, oh. You know, that's a, that's Crusoe's, Don Quixote. I suppose so. That's You've got... Uh, well, Def- isn't Defoe considered to be the, the, the father of the modern novel? Oh, right, OK, yeah, yeah. So yeah, whether yeah. we could argue his corner for being the, the, the writer of the first novel or not, I don't know, but certainly the father considered by many to be the father of the modern 1719, novel. 1719, Robinson Crusoe. Colourful character. Uh, yeah. What as a spy, I'm Did told, uh, was put in the stocks by the worshipful company of stationers uh, for transgressions against uh, the, the rules, I believe, on publishing pamphlets. Ah. Um, so, yeah, um, colourful character. Uh, a journey of the... A journal of the day of the plague... No, 1722. I, I, is that a novel? Uh, a, really, an invaluable source, certainly, yeah. uh, on that uh, uh, particular period. Interesting, though, because he's only five when he's only five years old when the Great Plague took place in 1665. I think. Wow. Okay, and and lived to be six. So there you go. Lucky him. <laughs> Survived it. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I almost immediately think of um, the, the, the 19th century, the great kind of Victorian novels. So Dickens, of course. Dickens, let's get him out of the way with the greatest respect. You know, when we go on, yeah. it's almost unavoidable on every London walk, yeah. like the window tax, you know, is <laughs> almost completely unavoidable. Yes. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, and we are down by the, the River Thames here, so the River Thames flows through the works of Dickens like a, a vein through a slab of marble. Yeah, so we're talking Oliver Twist, we're talking, um, well, Pip arrives here, Great Expectations, isn't he? Bleak House, uh, David Copperfield, you know, it's all based in and around London, isn't it? Our mutual friend opens with a particularly dramatic scene on the river, dredging the River yeah, Thames. Right, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Dramatic and uh, smoggy and uh, sordid and wonderful. Uh, you mentioned Great Expectations, which is um, uh, uh, my favourite, and uh, an absolute sucker for Perhaps an obvious Dickens choice there, but I was reading. When I came to London 23 years ago, that happened to be the the paperback I read on the bus on the way down. Uh, I got a a job in Clerkenwell, uh, went out for a walk one day and stumbled across a street called Little Britain, where Pip's mysterious benefactor has his office, and just immediately thought... This is the place is for Jaggers? me. Jaggers would be the criminal lawyer he goes to meet when he arrives in, in London. Indeed, and yes. Does he, does he meet Wemmick, doesn't he? Wemmick, who's this kind of kindly 
assistant of Jagger's. Quite so. Quite Jagger's so. always washing his hands, metaphorically speaking, of those criminals he's representing. Perhaps. Vivid stuff, as ever. And it's often been said to me, I've chosen a particularly obvious Dickens there, but the, the sentimental attachment I have to that uh, novel with arriving in London, I don't think will ever leave me. It remains my favourite. Well, what I love about Colin Dickens, he obviously spent as much time you know, walking around London as he did writing about it. So I just love the idea that he's kind of turned up in some place and looked, thought, this is, this is perfect, I'm going to set my next novel right bang here. This is exactly the kind of atmosphere I'm looking for. Absolutely so, and we're down by the River Thames tonight because we're just about to lead uh, a walking tour with a, a, a Dutch group, yeah. uh, take them along the Thames to end up uh, in Southwark, in Dickens' Southwark. Ah, yes. So, yeah. uh, as, as we said, he's absolutely unavoidable. No, we'll be no, dealing we, with we, Little Dorrit tonight we've done on it. our walk. We've done it, haven't we? We weren't going to talk about Dickens, and yeah. yet we've spent... Yeah, unavoidable. <laughs> there he is. Uh, difficult to see past him in a London context. But that's what we're going to try and do yeah. on this podcast. And we've also talked about before a bit of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yes. We've talked about uh, the picture of Dorian Gray or Squire. Yeah, we've mentioned uh, all of these in previous podcasts. Dracula yeah. as well. Yes, Bram Stoker, uh, the uh, business manager for Henry Irving. Yeah, well, maybe we should do some kind of more kind of modern ones as well. I mean, I think of um, Martin Amos, London Fields. Sure, sure. Uh, Zadie um, Smith. Smith. Uh, Brick Lane. Sure. Fantastic. I thought I might do a little bit on um, Shardlake, actually, the Shardlake series, the C.J. Samson. No, uh, I've only heard of these. One of our London Walks guides is uh, leading a, a Shardlake walk, I believe, yeah. in June 2015. Yeah, I know people have written in and asked about doing that, whether we could do a Shardlake walk, so I'm pleased to hear we're going to do one. Brilliant. I mean, absolutely, you know, uh, uh, paints London in the 16th century, uh, you know, fantastically. Very, okay, very Okay, so that, that's the period? All says around 16th century, um, the kind of the, the Reformation, the dissolution of the monasteries around that kind of period, a little bit before the, the Reformation actually, but um, all set around the Inns of Court. He's a lawyer, hunchbacked lawyer, uh, you know, brilliant, murder mystery. Great, so there's a sort of crime fiction dimension crime to fiction, it. Crime fiction, yeah, historical fiction, but, uh, you know, wonderful and a brilliant, brilliant character, a hunchbacked lawyer, um, great, and a great kind of an assistant as well, so you can follow the whole thing through. I think the first one maybe was a dissolution, and he's just had a new one out, it's called Lamentations, so I'm going to, I think I might kind of talk a little bit about him, because he's great. It's, that will be interesting to hear, certainly, because uh, crime fiction, um, enormously... Uh, popular. I was reading recently the um, it's the most borrowed uh, genre from libraries, oh, okay. and uh, it's having something of a, a purple patch in terms of critical reception oh, crime fiction okay, these days. Okay. I think for a long time the, the literary establishment were a bit sniffy Ooh. about genre fiction, crime fiction, uh, and Ian Rankin. Uh, we may have mentioned, I may have mentioned Ian Rankin, the crime writer, before yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, earlier in one of these podcasts. Um, his inspector Reba novels. Uh, he said a few years ago that, you know, writers of crime fiction uh, tend to tackle, uh, you know, the, the, the world today, the, the, the fears and the concerns of yeah. the modern world, um, whereas writers of literary fiction, the prize-winning writers of literary fiction, often set their works in the past. So in a hundred years' time, we'll be looking to contemporary crime writers oh, okay. to yeah. learn about our yeah. Uh, early 21st century period, yeah. Well, I almost immediately think of Arthur Conan Doyle, who was very, you know, he wanted a change from, you know, Sherlock Holmes to something more more worthy. Did he think it was a bit more worthy to go into a, a different style of writing from his um, more historical fiction or something? Than, yes, uh, which would have been a much more respectable um, 
pursuit for a serious <laughs> literary figure. But um, it's good you should mention that as well because we do have our colleague uh, Richard Burnett um, who uh, contributed to the Sherlock Holmes podcast uh, earlier last year. Um, he has some more to add uh, on Sherlock Holmes. So we're going to be doing Sherlock Holmes on our literary okay, podcast. Great. But before we get started on all of that, we are turning to our own book, London Walks, London Stories, to pick out two chapters dealing with our River Thames. We've got Nick uh, over in Greenwich reading from his chapter. But before then, Katie Tucker reads David Tucker's chapter from London Walks, London Stories, Temesis. London Walks, London Stories, Chapter One The Thames by David Tucker Read by Katie Tucker The best way to see London is to hear it. The Thames, Londinium, Londonwick, Londonburg, Thames Street, Fleet Street, The Strand, Strand Bridge, Holborn, Paul's Wharf, Bankside, Walbrook, Horseberry, Chelsea, Putney, Stepney, Hackney, Bastie, Bermondsey, Eastbourne, Westbourne, Kilburn, Tyburn, Marlebone, Greenwich Palace, Custom House Stairs, Swan Stairs, Castle Stairs, Tower Stairs, Waterman Stairs, Fishmongers Hall, Shipwrights Lane, Water Lane. The common denominator? The Thames. The Mississippi drains a continent. Small beer, really. The Thames drains time itself. It's entirely appropriate that Greenwich, London's harbour town, should be the birthplace of time, and that time's lighthouse, Big Ben, the most famous clock in the world, could be mistaken for a ship's lantern high up in a mast. The Thames, London. Notice the sequence. It's the correct one. The travel agent's brochures speak of the Thames as London's river. Close, but no cigar. It's the other way round. London is the Thames town. No Thames, no London. It's as simple as that. The Thames was here before London. The Thames is the reason London is where it is. The Thames made London. Look at the 1572 Bourne and Hoganburg map of London. Most of those same streets are there today, nearly four and a half centuries later. To the south of St Paul's, towards the river, there are only three streets running east-west. The other axis, the north-south axis, is a different story. There are 15 or so north-south streets, a ratio of five to one. What that tells us is that it wasn't so desperately important to be able to go east or west, and in any case, for that you had London's largest and most important street, the River Thames. What was vitally important was to be able to go north-south, and it's not the compass points that are important here. What's important is what lay to the south, the River Thames. London is oriented to its river. As you come down river, you might like to imagine the brightly decorated flotilla filled with optimism, pomp and fawning favourites that brought the dashing King Henry VIII with his second and sexy young wife, Anne Boleyn, to the favourite of his many palaces. It was a journey Anne was to make in sombre reverse a mere three years later. 
There's nothing we can see above ground of that magnificent Tudor palace that stood in Greenwich. Greenwich Palace, in which Henry had been born, had everything the fun-loving king could want. In front of him was fast transit to some of his other magnificent homes upriver, Deptford and Woolwich dockyards, founded by his father, later port and starboard of his palace, and gave him ample opportunity to play ships. He had his tilt-yard, and near to them the huge towered armories, where magnificently decorated suits of armour were continually and expertly tailored to his expanding girth. There was a deer-park for hunting and hawking, a huge banqueting-house where riotous enactments of daring feats were played out over multi-course feasts, and there were the orchards and gardens, in which he could flirt with his enticing young bride, confident that when he lay beside her that night she would arouse him sufficiently to produce the one thing he craved, an heir. London Walks podcast was compiled, produced and presented by Andy Hallett and Adam Scott Goulding. For details of the full programme of London Walks, London's best guided walking tours, go to www.walks.com. The London Walks podcast was an APB production.